Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Camping is a great experience most of the time. I really enjoy it. I love the primitive camping idea. It's fun to go out there with little to nothing, make a fire, cook some food, maybe even catch it yourself. It's all good, fun and games and great experiences. But as we have come to find time after time again on the Swamp Dweller channel, the great outdoors hides more than just cryptids, monsters, and wild animals. Sometimes the real monster, or maybe even cryptid, are human beings themselves. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some allegedly true and creepy camping horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. From paranormal encounters, to cryptid sightings, to people who are just downright mind-blowingly terrifying, these stories will definitely keep you up tonight. If you have one you'd like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or at r slash thedarkswamp on reddit. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Camp Greenwood Experience by Colden When I was about 16 years old, my friend and I went on a camping trip to a place called Camp Greenwood. I'm still traumatized about what happened that week. When we arrived at our campsite, something felt off, like we were being watched. Big claw marks were all over the tables and trees, like something or someone had gone absolutely berserk. So I helped my friend set up his tent, and without thinking about what I saw, I just kept going on with my day. Eventually, we all did get cozy, and then I remembered and told them what I saw. At first, I truly don't think he believed me. He thought I was probably hallucinating. But then, we heard a loud screech from deep within the woods. It sounded like someone was being dragged into hell itself. We both hugged each other extremely tight. Then we finally dared to get out of the tent and try to find what made that noise. After we got out of the tent, we grabbed our pocket knives and flashlights that our parents had packed for us in case of an emergency. I'm not really sure what it was going to do, but uh, we felt brave. We started walking in the direction of where we heard the scream, and we probably walked for about 50 or 60 yards before we listened to another. This time, it sounded much closer than before. It was easily probably 10 to 15 yards away if I had to give an educated guess, but don't hold me to that, I was actually pretty scared. We both held up our knives and tried to stay calm. My friend accidentally dropped his knife and didn't know where it went. Whatever was out here with us definitely outmatched us by many, many levels. We sprinted as fast as we could the moment we heard some branches snapping and rustling in front of us. We both ran towards it, but we suddenly stopped dead in our tracks as we shined our flashlight on what looked like a person. But this person, or thing, whatever it was, was bloody and had yellow, beady eyes. It had needle-like teeth. Whatever this thing was started sprinting at us and we ran like bats out of hell. But when we finally made it out of the woods, we ran to my friend's truck and tried to drive away. 
The car didn't seem to want to start at first, which was cliche as hell and was not making me feel any better in that situation. The moment that the car started and we got out of there, I did notice those yellow beady eyes looking out at us from the woods. I honestly don't really know how else to explain this, but saying that it was very tall and very skinny. If anybody else has ever encountered something similar, please comment down below. I'd like to get any information I can. Do Not Camp at Storm Lake by Clyde2003 The summer of 2008 was a rough time to graduate from college. I had just spent four years getting a degree only to find out the job market had all but dried up. As bummed out as I was about being unemployed for the foreseeable future, I found a deep appreciation for backcountry camping and hiking that summer. Growing up in the Rocky Mountains and graduating from a college in western Montana, I was not a stranger to hiking or camping in the slightest. But that summer, it became an escape to the point of an obsession. Going on daily hikes and camping beneath the stars helped my mental health while I worried about my life's purpose and future. It was June and unseasonably cold, wet, and cloudy. The daytime highs barely touched 50 degrees and at night it dropped below freezing. Despite the weather, I had planned to hike around Anaconda Ridge that week, but I wasn't going to let that deter me at all. My plan for the week was to walk from Storm Lake over to Storm Lake Pass and down to Upper Seymour Lake. Storm Lake actually is an alpine reservoir. It's a challenge to get to because it requires a 4x4 pickup and some skilled driving. The road is a narrow two-track winding its way through a thick pine forest. The course was slick with rain, but I got to the top with little heartburn. I set up camp on the north shore of the lake and decided to do some fishing. The fishing was miserable. It was cold and nothing was biting, but the best thing about lousy fishing is that my thoughts were free to wander while I sat there on the shore. The rain was a constant drizzle and created a natural white noise. Time passed and my daydreams were cut short as a low rumble from up the canyon overtook the sound of the rain. The rumble was not unlike a distant diesel engine. There are no roads that go beyond where I was camped though. No machinery or vehicles could be up that canyon. Maybe it was a plane, I thought. Looking up into the rain clouds, but the sound wasn't getting any closer or further. And the sound wasn't above me per se. It came from like beyond the lake and up into the canyon. The sound was stationary and constant. This was certainly not a plane, a truck, or a bulldozer. Now, this by itself wasn't necessarily scary, but my hair stood on end while I sat there listening. After 20 minutes, the rumbling faded away and I left again and only the sound of raindrops remained. Soon enough, I caught a decent-sized trout, cleaned it, and headed back to the camp to prepare some dinner. The fish cooked up fine, but to be honest, I wouldn't say I like trout. It's edible, sure, but unpalatable for me personally. They taste like mud. I ate as much as possible and tossed the rest into the lake, building up my fire for the night. I sat back to enjoy the evening with a bit of whiskey. Night came fast and the mountain ridges put the sun to bed very early. The rain clouds obscured the starlight and it was dark, and I mean dark. Sounds of a crackling warm fire and the rain bouncing off my tent were a great comfort and started to lull me into a nice sleep. I reminded myself I needed to build up the fire before bed though. I walked over to my pile of scavenged firewood and grabbed an armful. Being away from the crackling fire, 
I could pick up the familiar rumbling rising in the background. It was growing louder than before and closer. I may have had too many pulls of whiskey and was tired and cranky. This noise was ruining my camping trip and my buzz. Frustrated, for whatever reason, I yelled into the blackness of the night. Hey, shut up, you douchewagon! Like a flip of a switch, the rumbling stopped, and so did the rain. My heart skipped a beat. I realized that was not a convenient coincidence. There was an intelligence out here. Something sentient. They were observing me and responding to my screams. I don't know who they were, but I wasn't getting the most positive vibes from whatever it was. I threw all the logs on the fire and retreated to my tent. More on edge than ever, I just sat there, listening. Listening to the fire crackling, to my rapid breathing, and beyond that to the silence of the darkness. Before this moment I had felt alone but safe, now I felt alone and vulnerable. Beyond where the firelight faded, I felt a million eyes in the darkness watching at me, peering at me. My paranoia began to subside when the rain suddenly started again. Not a drizzle, but a massive downpour. I was glad that I had built up the fire or it would have been snuffed out instantly. My tent was being pushed down by the force of the storm. I thought about bailing to the truck but knew I'd instantly be soaked to the bone. Risking injury or death over getting wet is the only logic whiskey can produce. I could feel the rainwater pulling and moving under my tent. The storm wasn't letting up. The urge to get up and get in the truck and drive away was tantalizing. I could get my stuff tomorrow in the daylight and spend a few nights in town. But I had too much to drink. Driving, especially on that slick, muddy two-track road would have been a death sentence. But I still needed a safer place to sleep than a wimpy tent. So grabbing what I could, I ripped open the tent flaps and ran to the truck. I was soaking wet when I settled into the driver's seat and locked the doors. Turning the heat on full blast, I hoped that they would dry me out quickly. It was going to be a miserable night though. I reclined my chair and tried to calm my thoughts with my deep breathing. The rain wasn't letting up, I was warm from the heater and I was riding the crest of a good whiskey buzz. Despite the rain, the fire raged and kept the campsite well lit. I remember the truck's clock reading 1.06am. I blinked. It was only a moment, but when I opened my eyes, the rain had stopped, it was foggy and quiet, and the once raging fire was just embers, and there was morning twilight to the east. The truck's clock now read 5.45am, and it was morning. I couldn't be right. Almost five hours are gone in the blink of an eye. I guess I must have passed out. My head was killing me. I didn't feel like I had drinking that much to... I didn't feel like I drank that much to justify that kind of a hangover. I turned off the truck and surveyed the night's damage. My tent was utterly flattened. The tent poles were shattered to pieces. Everything was soaking wet. Smothering the remains of the fire, I dragged all of my junk to the pickup truck and tossed it into the bed. My hike over the pass wasn't happening today, that was definitely for sure. It was around 6.30am before I finished packing up my camp. As I climbed into the cab of my truck, I heard the rumbling again through the morning fog. I drove out of there as fast as I could down that muddy bobsled road track, not once looking in the rearview mirror. I have never been back to Storm Lake, and I probably never will. We were supposed to go camping. Bye. Embarrassed Pickle. To set the scene, here I am, 17 years old at the time, and going through the rebellious stage of my life. I was dating guys I shouldn't date, lying to my parents, and almost getting killed. 
I started dating this guy and of course I thought he was the one. We were from the Appalachia area, so we drove to a scenic point and camped out one night. This guy's family was loaded. He lived in this massive mansion and his dad was a lawyer. You all, I thought that I had hit the jackpot, but then the slow ease into manipulation, narcissism, and abuse slowly rolled in. I got tired of it and tried to break up with him multiple times. But the last time I broke it up with him, he threatened my family. At this point, he never came to my home and met my parents. I'm very reserved with who I am and who I introduced to my parents. They mean the world to me. So this threat was different. He sent me my home address, my parents' full names. Me being 17 and naive, I was terrified. He wanted me to come to his beach house, so I told my parents I was going with a friend to Tennessee for the weekend and made the six-hour drive to this guy's beach house. As I said, my family is everything to me and I thought I had to protect them. I get there and he just immediately goes off the rails. From that point on, for 36 hours, I was subject to torture and abuse. I had my hands tied up and slept in my own pee and vomit. I was cut up from head to toe, small slices along the arms, thighs, and stomach. I concluded that I was going to die and my parents would have no clue where I was. For all they knew, I was with my best friend and her dad and stepmom. They trusted me. This guy was insane. He was injecting crack into his veins and snorting cocaine off my cuts. He thought this was hilarious. All my emotion was gone, tears streaming down my face as if it were a regular occurrence. The last of my torture was him putting a single bullet in a revolver and spinning it, laughing and opening my mouth and sliding the barrel in. I had no emotion at this point. I looked him dead in the eyes. I pulled my head back on the barrel to speak to him and told him to pull the trigger. I moved my head back towards the barrel and bit it with my teeth. He pulled the trigger and it clicked. I didn't blink, I didn't flinch, and at that point he stepped back into the reality and started to cry and tell me he was so sorry. I didn't care. I didn't even care about getting out of there alive at this point. He untied me and cried in my lap for hours. It felt like... like I don't even know how to explain it. I couldn't even really register what was happening in a daze. I know everybody listening now is saying, did you go to the cops? Did you call 911? At the time, I didn't do it immediately. I never wanted my parents to know what I had done and what I had been through. The thought of them hurting over it killed me. On top of that, his dad was a lawyer, and a very good one at that. I had no feasible chance, so I drove home, as I usually did. I looked like I got hit by a truck, but thank God it was winter. I wore long sleeves and jeans or leggings and socks for quite a long time. I covered up my face with what I could with makeup, told my parents, my best friend, and everybody else that I flipped a four-wheeler. Easy to believe because we have done that more times than you'd think. The story doesn't end quite there for him though. I won't get into everything that happened afterward, but I completely cut contact off with him and blocked him on everything. We never saw each other at school because he lived a town over. He didn't stop trying to contact me there though. Now and then I still get messages from him from fake accounts. I'm currently 23 years old. He ended up getting caught dealing some sort of drug. I don't think it was just weed, I think it was something worse because he got sent away and of course his dad got him out on a pretty short bid. He got sent to a psych ward to stay over some and he eventually snuck out of there and everyone was looking for him for days. As I said, I'm 23, married, living in a completely different state, happy and healthy. What happened to me on that alleged camping trip that I was supposed to be go on, what happened to me those couple of days while I was supposed to be on a camping trip definitely turned me definitely has lasting effects on me. I'm on sedatives to help my triggers. 
I have these random quirks now, my body and mine are in constant survival mode. Quite literally. I don't allow myself to get too full to be quick on my feet if I need to. Even though I'm 100 pounds soaking wet, and I lift weights every single day, it's just a random thing that creeps into my mind that I don't think I'll ever not have. This was 1998 when this happened. An old friend of mine asked me to go camping with him. I hadn't been since I was about 12, so I agreed. It sounded fun, and I was excited all week leading up to the trip. I didn't get much sleep the night before because of it. He picked me up just after 5am, and we drove the 100 miles to the park. I managed to get a bit of sleep on the ride, so I felt a little better when we arrived. Then, he dropped the bomb on me. We still had to walk another two hours to the campsite. I tried to talk him into choosing a closer one, but he swore I'd love the one we had when we made it. <sighs> With a heavy heart, I followed him. The first half hour wasn't that bad, I guess. Most of it was downhill. However, as more time passed, I became sluggish. Halfway there, we took a short break, but were back on the trail before I knew it. The second leg was a lot more uphill. It wasn't long until I was dragging again and not paying attention to where I was stepping. We arrived at a flat section and I was relieved. My friend was in front and somehow missed the trap, but I didn't. All I remember was that one second, I was clomping along and hitting the ground. The contact with the bottom of the hole jolted me awake and the rush of adrenaline masked most of the pain. As I stood up, my right ankle buckled and I dropped down onto a sharp, stick jutting out below me. Apparently, there are several more stakes in the bottom of the hole, but they had been knocked over, thankfully. When I looked down, I saw the bone sticking out of my shin. Instinctively, I pulled the stick from my leg and the pain made it me even queasier than I already was. I looked up to get an idea of where I was and only saw a blue sky edged by trees. I figured the hole was only about 10 feet deep or more, it must have taken the idiots that dug it several days. I yelled up for my friend only to see his laughing face greet me over the edge. He didn't know the extent of my injuries at that moment, but when I told him, the laughing stopped and panic replaced it. I asked him what happened, and he told me it looked like some redneck poachers had dug up some type of bear trap and I'd fallen into it. I assumed he could simply reach down and pull me out, but that didn't work. So next... He attempted to reach me where I was with the tree limb. This worked at first, but when I tried to stand up, the pain was far too severe. I couldn't put any weight on my right leg. It was obvious I wasn't getting out of this hole without outside help. It was still early in the day, so I wasn't too concerned. I could hear my friend pacing around above me freaking out, so I called up to him in a calm voice and told him to get help. The ranger station was a little way, probably about an hour, he could easily get help and make it back with plenty of time before dark. Once he took off, I was left alone with nothing but the pain to occupy my time. By this time, it was now coming in waves, and accompanying nausea wasn't making it any better. Initially, I thought I could make a splint, but the moment I tried to tighten it down, I almost fainted. Leaving it alone seemed to be the best decision. I put my head between my knees and waited for the sick, dizzy feeling to pass. Eventually it did, and I tried to focus on other things. Singing worked for a while. 
That is until I started hearing thunder and noticed the sky above me getting darker by the minute. Getting a little wet wasn't going to kill me, right? Perhaps I should have considered my circumstances before saying that. The rain was relatively light at first, but within minutes it was coming down in sheets. I was okay until I began to notice the hole filling with water. That's when my panic began to rise. My feet were already submerged by the time I realized I was in trouble. I clawed my way up the wall until I was standing, at least the best I was able to, and started praying for it to stop. As the minutes passed, more of my body disappeared. After an hour, the storm began letting up and I could relax just a bit. The water level was only about halfway up to my shins, and I knew now, if it continued at that rate, I would be long gone before help arrived. Unfortunately, it was just a lull in the storm. Soon enough, the rain was sheeting down again. I tried to remain positive about the whole thing. I tried to take my mind off the pain in my leg. I tried to be upbeat, thinking back on funny jokes and movies. The next hour was the longest of my life. When help finally arrived, the rain had almost completely stopped. At the time the ropes pulled me out, the water was just below my belt. Thinking about drowning to death in that little hole, out in the middle of nowhere, still gives me the willies. Once I was out of the hole, the ride to the hospital felt like it went very fast. After a surgery where I acquired some screws and a few plates, I was allowed to go home. The next eight weeks on crutches would drag by, but I was happy to be alive, broken leg or not. We never got to make up for the lost trip, but I have taken my kids out camping a few times in the years since. While it's on my mind, I might give my friend a ring. We haven't seen each other in a few years, and a camping trip may be the best way to catch up. I'll make sure to keep my eyes open this time, though. This is the story of my first and last camping experience. I was 16 at the time, and my family, my mother, sister, and brother, had made plans to go out camping with our aunt, uncle, and two cousins over the weekend. This was my family's first real camping trip, while my cousins, aunt, and uncle had gone camping dozens of times. Our first afternoon and evening out camping actually went quite well. I surprisingly had quite a bit of fun. It was later that night, maybe around 10.30 or so, my cousins, my sister, and myself were settling into our tent. We were lying in our makeshift bed when we heard footsteps circling around our tent. Slightly alarmed by this, we sat up and noticed that whoever was outside circling the tent was holding what we assumed to be a stick and tracing the tent as they circled it. At one point, my sister sticks her hand out and feels a leg through the tent's fabric. We knew it wasn't our mother, as she has a trach, and her breathing is very deep and distinct. It wasn't our brother, because he was only five at the time, and we heard a grown adult's footsteps. The weight behind them really let us know that it wasn't a child. Our cousins informed us that it was probably their dad who always liked to play pranks, especially at nighttime. We decided to look out the small window of the tent, or flap, or whatever you really want to call it, I don't know. It gave us a great view of the whole campsite. We looked towards the road that was right by our site and on the road with my aunt and uncle walking back from the restrooms. My cousins, sister, and I started to connect the dots. 
whoever was outside circling our tent wasn't a member of our family. It was a complete stranger. And all that separated us from that individual was a tiny layer of fabric. As our uncle and aunt approached our campsite, we called for them to come over to our tent and told them what happened. Everything stopped after we talked to our aunt and uncle. We assumed the individual ran away when our aunt and uncle approached our campsite. My cousins and sister were still understandably freaked out about what had just happened. I, on the other hand, was so tired that I wasn't able to process what happened and how scary it actually was. The rest of the trip went seemingly well, and I enjoyed the rest of it as much as I possibly could. The worst part of it all is that nobody believed us. In fact, our aunt and uncle and mother made fun of us and told us that we were just being paranoid, as my cousin, sister, and I love everything creepy from conspiracy theories to urban legends. It still bothers me all this time later because I never found out who that individual was or what their intentions were. I also think what could have happened if our aunt and uncle didn't come when they did. It's not like we'd be able to defend ourselves as we were just teenage girls. Ever since then, I've been turned off of camping and I don't see myself going again in the future. This is a Floridian cryptid camping story. I don't know if I sent this in before, but just in case, I'm going to send it to you again. I have made sure to put in some effort to make sure that all of my friends that were with us verified the same details that I remember. Anyways, back when I was in high school sometime in 2016, my boyfriend asked me if I wanted to go camping with two of our friends. Their names were Gretchen, Cindy, and Daniel. I don't really like camping, but I love spending time with these three, and we would be graduating soon and moving on with our lives. So, during a Friday afternoon, we grabbed our favorite snacks from a 7-Eleven and drove to Claremont, as they used to have some cool woods. We set up our little campsite about 10 minutes from Gretchen's car, and started playing Uno on a picnic blanket. Once it got dark, Daniel and I went into our tent, while Gretchen and Cindy went into theirs. I fell asleep relatively quickly, because I was just beat from the day. I had a relatively strange dream, where I was this creature roaming through the woods. It was like if you were watching through the view of a drone camera. I was moving very quickly, until I saw the embers of a fire, and started moving towards it. I realized it was our campsite, and I woke up in a cold sweat. I couldn't move, but I woke up Daniel, and asked what was wrong, but I put my finger on his mouth and whispered, I think there's something out there. We sat there just for a few minutes in silence when our tent's zipper started to come undone. I didn't look at it, but I could hear its raspy breathing. All of a sudden, there was a loud police siren that made this creature run off into the night. We got out of our tents and saw Gretchen and Cindy doing the same. As soon as we were in Gretchen's car, I asked what that thing was. This is what Cindy told me when I asked her to re-describe what she saw. It was tall, hunched over, black figure, with the body of a sleek and slender figure, with the legs of a horse or maybe even a deer. Topping its body were the head of a human with antlers. She quickly grabbed her phone and played a police siren app she used to scare us. Whatever that creature was, it couldn't have been friendly, and I'm thankful Cindy scared it off. If anybody has any idea what this could be out in the woods of Florida please let me know in the comments down below.
This is not my story. This happened to my history teacher. He told this story to us once. We live in Anchorage, Alaska. Alaska is known for lots of nature and outdoor adventures. Many people like going hiking, kayaking, hunting, etc. My history teacher, Mr. C, decided to go camping by himself and his dog, Ao Intalkitna, which is probably about three hours away from the city. This area is well known for hunting. Mr. C finds a nice spot, and he decided to camp close to his truck. During the day, he played with his dog and did what most campers do, relax. It started to get dark, and he decided to get to bed. He had one person in his tent, which was himself, and his dog slept with him. Mr. C did have a knife and a gun with him. Toward the middle of the night, his dog kept whining. He figured his dog needed to use the restroom and unzipped his tent. Mr. C said his dog immediately dashed out into the woods. He thought this was a bit weird. He left the tent unzipped so his dog could come back inside. Mr. C is still laying there awake and suddenly begins to hear what sounds like someone walking towards his tent. He's silent and waits. He grips his weapon and stares at the open entrance and sees this strange human-shaped creature. He said it walked like a gorilla, but it was skinny, bony, and seemed to have no texture to its body. Mr. C froze in fear. He mentioned it was so dark he couldn't even see what it looked like, only its shape. Mr. C said it crept toward the tent entrance and just sat there. It just watched him lay there for two hours. It was sitting at the entrance of his tent. Mr. C didn't want to move. He had nowhere to go since this thing was blocking his way. He stared at it for the duration that it watched him sleep. It didn't move. It didn't budge. It didn't even fidget around as an animal would. At this point, he's wondering where his dog is and realized this is probably why his dog left. After a while, he heard his dog running back and barking in the background, and the strange creature jumped so fast and so high he didn't even catch him to see where it ran off to. His dog came back to the tent, and Mr. C got the hell out of there in the morning. He said he'd never go back, and I don't blame him. I'm not really sure who came up with the idea first, but by day's end, we'd planned the destination and date. Although I'd been camping many times before, I'm almost positive neither Chuck or Glenn ever had. They had come into the family late in life, and my real dad had already died by then. He had been the guy who loved camping. My stepfather, not so much. Don't get me wrong, he's a great man, but the outdoors had never been his deal. The list of supplies needed for the trip was compiled and followed to the letter, including the four cases of beer. Perhaps the most important of all goods. We loaded up and been ready to leave at dawn the next morning. As we headed out, we had no idea of what lay ahead of us and how it would affect our connection to one another, a connection we once believed to be unbreakable. The three-hour drive was uneventful and quiet. I was pleased to see how dry the surroundings were. Fire starting, while not hard for me, was not my strong suit, and I knew neither of my brothers had ever burned more than a cigarette. I brought along some lighter fluid just to be safe, although I never ended up needing it. While I worked on the fire, Chuck and Glenn set up the tent using knowledge they had learned watching YouTube videos. I had purposely got the easiest tent that I could find, 
yet it still took the better part of an hour before they had it up. The fire was already roaring by the time they joined me. I had buried the potatoes in the coals, prepared the steaks to be cooked, and was well into my second beer by then. The steaks didn't take long, and by dark, we were sitting down to a delicious meal. After dinner, the real camping began. I had chosen to camp out in the middle of nowhere on purpose. I knew we'd be more obnoxious and loud when we got drunk. More importantly, I liked to make big bonfires and turn my music up loud. You can't do that with others around you. That evening turned out to be a blast. We blew through two cases and didn't pass out until dawn. It was something I needed to do for a long time. Despite the hangover, I resolved then and there, it was something we were going to do much more often. While I finally drugged myself from my sleeping bag, it was well past noon. Chuck and Glenn were already awake, sitting next to a cold fire. They both had a beer in their hand and looked happy to see me. I asked them what was up with the fire, and Chuck mumbled something about not being able to get it relit. That made me chuckle. I walked over to the tree line and grabbed a handful of wood. When I returned, I sat down with the dead coals and blew onto them. The coals lit up brightly and the fire was roaring again within a few minutes. Then I went to the creek to fetch some water. The look on their face was priceless. Chuck's jaw was hanging open and I could tell Glenn was aching to ask me how I did it. While I waited for the water to boil, I cooked up a large mess of eggs and potatoes and we ate breakfast with a cup of coffee. Once I had eaten, I was feeling much better and suggested we go fishing. We didn't make it back to the camp until almost dark. Unfortunately, no one had caught anything. Nothing we could keep anyway. But I could tell Chuck had already caught a good buzz. I cooked what was left of the steak and after we set to finishing what was left of the beer. This evening was much tamer than the one before. I didn't want to make a big fire. It would only be harder for me to put it out completely before we left for home. Most of the night, the three of us talked about unimportant things like girls and work. Around two in the morning though, we decided to turn in, the beer long being drunk. My last memory was Chuck going to take a leak. He had drunk a lot more than Glenn or I. He fell several times trying to get out of his sleeping bag, but eventually made it out of the tent. I must have passed out just after that. The next thing I remember the sun was already beginning to shine through the trees. I had to pee like crazy, so I fumbled my way to the zipper, trying not to wake the other two guys up. As I unzipped the tent, a weird burning smell similar to burned meat hit me. I figured one of the guys had already been up making breakfast. I looked behind me and Glenn was still asleep. Chuck must have been the one cooking, and he was terrible at it. I crawled out with a smirk on my face and a smart remark to him. I looked up, expecting to see my brother burning food, but what I was met with was a sight for serious horror. I never imagined I would see something like this. The fire was burned out and Chuck was nowhere to be seen. The dawn was still too dim to make out the large object laying across the dead coals. I walked up within a few steps and was hit fully by the burning smell. Then all of a sudden it hit me, what I was seeing. Chuck was laying face down across one corner of the cold fire and he wasn't moving. Without a second thought I grabbed his body and rolled it over. All I could see was black and smell the terrible burning. I began yelling for Glenn, and when he didn't answer immediately, I ran to the tent and shook him. He was reluctant at first, but when I yelled, Chuck's f***ing dead, 
loudly in his face. He jolted upright and asked me to repeat it. All I could do was point towards the remnants of the fire and the horrible vision that the sun was making clearer by the minute. He flew from the tent in one quick motion and came almost face to face with the charred body of our dead brother. I stood behind him, and silently with my eyes closed, Glenn fell to his knees and started wailing. At that second I wanted to be anywhere but there. The sound of Glenn's haunting wails and the horrid smell permeating the air was worse than any nightmare I have ever imagined. A cold breeze was blowing across me, and that was when it became clear that I peed myself. I... Uh, it didn't matter, though. With every second, the sight became clearer, and I was terrified to open my eyes. This was not the way I wanted to remember Chuck. I eventually crawled back into the tent and started crying myself. This continued for God knows how long, until I figured I should call 911 and let them know what happened. They arrived about an half an hour later... When the coroner left with his body, I summoned the courage to come out. Glenn was speaking to some of the officers. The smell was still so bad. I began retching and retreated back into the tent. Soon after, another officer joined me inside the tent, and we talked about the trip and events of the night before. Nothing in particular. He left about 20 minutes later with the remaining officers. I began breaking down camp, and Glenn soon joined me. As we worked, nothing was said between us. I moved as fast as possible, hoping to soon be away from this awful place. Looking back now, I acknowledge I probably was a bit cold and uncaring. In my defense, I was the oldest and had the responsibility of notifying the rest of my family. I knew her mother was going to be crushed and I wanted to tell her before she heard it from the news. When it comes to Glenn, I can't speak for how he was feeling or what he was thinking. No one has the right to dictate the other's feelings, you know? How to handle their grief, especially in a circumstance such as this. Telling mom was, uh, was really bad. She always wanted a large family. When dad died, she thought her dream was over. However, when she met my stepfather and he mentioned adoption, she was overjoyed. Chuck and Glenn were actual brothers, about two years apart. And in their early teens, when mom found them, boys their age were usually hard to adopt out but mom had fallen in love with them. I always considered them my blood, as did the rest of my family. Glenn and I stayed close to her for some time, knowing how hard Chuck's loss was f This was the first instance of where I began feeling Glenn harbored suspicions toward me. Nothing was said, but I caught him watching me with his unusual questioning look. Many times throughout that month, as the months passed more and more, questions began to be raised, many more than I care to mention. I had always assumed Chuck had passed out or tripped or fell into the fire, killing him. He had been much drunker than us. However, when the results came back from the medical examiner, certain things were off. The bruises, for instance. Chuck's back was covered in them. The thing was, Chuck played rugby with some guys from school and had for many years. Also, his skull was fractured. A worrying sign for sure, but even the doctor was forced to admit things like this happen in fire. The skull bursts or cracks from the heat. Horrible facts to hear, I agree, but for some reason they have cemented the suspicions in Glenn's mind. No matter how hard I try to show him this was the wrong time to be a part of some sort of conspiracy theory, he convinced himself I had something to do with our brother's death. I've had my own reservations toward Glenn and his relationship with Chuck. More than once. I saw them argue about something, but they stopped whenever I entered the room. 
Do I have my own suspicions? Yes. But now is not the time to fracture the family. Our mother needs us more than ever. Right now. If she became aware of the distrust between us, it would not only break my heart, but it may just kill her. For the unforeseeable future, I'm going to do my best to bring us back together. If not for my mom's sake, perhaps Chuck's. On my own, I'm going to keep digging into the rip between the two brothers, and if it led to Chuck's death. Even if it yields some terrible truth that I may not want to be aware of, I owe it to him. After all, Chuck was my brother too. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true camping horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps us out a ton. Subscribe if you're new to the channel as it helps us grow. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, give us a five-star rating over there. And if you have a story that you'd like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or r slash thedarkswamp on Reddit. Thank you all so much, and I'll see you soon with another creepy video. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.